a little bit of a half-assed horror cast nights coming at you. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> <laughs> just had a, a nice rainy day here at Half-Assed Horrorcast Headquarters, watching Joe Dante's Erie, Indiana. My name is Marshall Teller. I knew my new hometown was going to be different from where I grew up in New Jersey, but this is ridiculous. Nobody believes me, but Erie, Indiana is the center of weirdness for the entire planet. <laughs> Item. Elvis lives on my paper route. Thank you, little paperboy. Item. Bigfoot eats out of my trash. Item. Even man's best friend is weird. Still don't believe me? You will. Now streaming on Amazon Prime as of this recording. That's right. The classic TV series from the early 90s. Yes. It ran from September 15th, 1991 until April 12th, 1992. A good long run that impacted many people. It's so embedded in our culture. It does say here, uh, my little, I did a very shallow dive of research while you were in the bathroom. And it said that, and you told me this in in other words, but that uh, apparently in the late 90s, this aired on Fox Kids. Fox Kids knows how to keep scary nightmares away. Just keep all lights on while watching a new Erie, Indiana Saturday after Goosebumps on Fox Kids. As like a block of entertainment, and it got a second wind of, uh, you know, like a lot of kids really liked it in that era. Huh. And that's what prompted Fox to do a spinoff where it was oh. called... Uh, Erie, Indiana Nights. Uh, Erie, oh. Indiana, <laughs> The Other Dimension is oh. what it was called. And apparently in the first episode, they tied in with the former series. They have, like, yeah. returning characters and stuff like that. But it was also very short-lived. It was in 1998, just for, like, a year. Yeah, I saw that. That's on, um, I think it's on Amazon Prime, too. I think it used to be on Netflix, but uh, I tried to watch that one because, I, you know, I liked the original series so much. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool, there's another one. And I tried to watch it, and it's just, it's not the same. It's not as good. Like, <laughs> you got to have a... Marshall and uh, Simon, and these were like bootleg Marshall and Simon. Right. Well, they, no they, offense, if you guys are listening, they had uh, aged out the part know. at that point. So that's true. They were like late teens, early twenties, maybe. Well, I, they probably weren't that old. Let's see, ninety-one to ninety-eight. Hmm. Well, Simon could have anchored it as the new. Yeah. You know, he would have aged it. What? Well, before we get into this, I, I jumped. I jumped ahead. Yeah. We're, we're talking more the about... The series is already over. Yeah, we're already talking <laughs> about the uh, the spinoff when we should be talking about Erie, Indiana proper, which aired on NBC. Uh, yes. um, it was, I think it was Sunday nights. That's where I remember watching it. Mm. So that, that's I think that's where we should start, is you actually watched this as like 11, 12-year-old kid, right? Yeah. Uh, so it, is, so it was 91, so I would have... When, what what uh, what month did the first episode? It's uh, October seventh. Okay. So no, 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 no. Sorry, September fifteenth. September fifteenth. So I would have been eleven when the first episode aired, but uh, my birthday's in October, so I 
turned 12 like shortly after. Yeah. So. Nice. Right around the same time as um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was like right around like, like the exact same time. It says uh, here that it was created by Jose Rivera and Carl Schaefer. And Joe Dante was a creative consultant, and we saw that he directed, I think he directed all but one of the episodes that we watched today. We watched five episodes. Um, quick tidbit about Jose Riviera. He uh, ended up getting nominated for an Oscar for, uh, he wrote the Motorcycle Di- Diaries. Yeah, uh, I just saw that on here. I was like, oh, cool, Motorcycle yeah. Diaries game. It's the first Puerto Rican screenwriter to be nominated for an Oscar. So Very he cool. broke new ground. Broke the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what are your memories of it? I mean, was it something that um, kind of that did actually impact you a little bit, or? Yeah, I don't know. I just really liked it as a kid because, like, I you know, we've said a million times on our podcast, I was I'm always been into spooky stuff. Yeah. And I think Eerie Indiana is kind of like, was especially right up my alley as a kid. And sort of, I think I we mentioned earlier, it's sort of a cross between like X Files and Pete and Pete. Right. It's, I don't know. Just like it's a fun show, fun kid show, and I was I remember it coming on. Um, I think the first episode I ever saw was the Mummy episode, which we just finished watching. Yes. Isn't that was like the the Halloween episode? Yeah, the fifth episode of the first run. So yeah, so I uh, yeah I used to love watching that as a kid, and everyone knows like the main. So the actor who plays the main character, Marshall, most people know him as uh, I forget the character's name, but he was in Hocus Pocus, right? But I've, I've every time I've ever seen him in anything, I'm like, oh, it's the Erie Indiana kid, you know. But I think he's uh, retired from acting. Yeah, it doesn't have very many credits, yeah. uh, whereas most everyone else in the main cast kind of went on to do other things or, you know. Yeah, I think he, uh, I want to say I read somewhere that he became a hairdresser or something yeah. like in Hollywood, so hmm. he's got a, a, a different, a new business, new line of work. So. so, I mean, I think you did a good job of summarizing, I mean, just like uh, tagline style uh, or pitch, I guess, uh, the idea that it's X-Files meets Pete and Pete. So it's yeah. kind of whimsical, young 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 duo. One is a teenager, and one is probably what ten. Yeah, they're probably only a couple of years apart in age, but right. when you're that young, it looks so. It much seems more a lot bigger. Yeah. yeah, Marshall, I'd say, is what like thirteen around in there, maybe yeah, fourteen. Maybe, yeah, twelve or thirteen, and yeah. then Simon's Simon's his younger like, sidekick. Yeah, like you know, nine or ten. Yeah. So. Um, and uh, it's kind of every week. Uh, Erie, Indiana attracts a lot of weirdness and strange phenomenon. And Marshall just moved here with his family. He has, you know, nuclear family uh, parents and an older sister. And they move here, and he notices immediately that it's very strange. Uh, it looks like Elvis, a surviving Elvis, lives on his block. <laughs> uh, Bigfoot rummages through his trash. Yep. Uh, so he notices right away there's like these strange phenomenon. And every week, he and uh, Simon. Uh, kind of investigate something new that's going on and try to uncover it. And they have a nice little wraparound or a nice way to kind of bookend the segments where at the end of every episode, Marshall and Simon lock some piece of evidence into like this big kind of box sort of a locker. Yeah, it's like an evidence... Uh, it's kind of a trophy case almost. Yeah, yeah. and they just kind of... Each episode, you know, they put a, an item into it. I do think it's worth noting that uh, I never watched it, but this is my first time to actually sit and watch it. Is today uh, the first five episodes? So I was curious if you how you felt about it, seeing it for the first time, being in your thirties. Yeah, uh, 
I mean, I thought it totally held up. But it, see, I, I have such a a fondness for Joe Dante, and a lot of his players kind of crop up in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll kind of note it as we go episode to episode. But a lot of people that have been in Joe Dante movies, like Gremlins and The Burbs and so on, pop up. So, I mean, I think I still have a little touch of that nostalgia, too. Yeah. And the fact that the kids are roughly my age in yeah. that era, so... Uh, because of that, I think it's kind of hard not to be nostalgic. I do think one thing that's kind of interesting is how these guys, they're all baby boomers, the creative people, like were born in the 50s and 40s right. or whatever, um, and they're kind of dipping into nostalgia because all the episodes deal with the past and deal with like kind of concepts of you know, movies that they loved when they were kids, probably yeah. growing up, you know? Yeah, like this show totally could have been... Um, a show that could have come out in like the early sixties or late fifties, sure. sure. Uh, which I also I think that's pretty funny too because for them that was their sort of like trip down memory lane. Like hey, yeah. we're going to revisit this stuff that I liked as a kid, and then but then it influenced another generation of kids who are now in our we're now in our late thirties. Yeah, and, uh, and obviously like you know I'm crazy about monsters and spooky stuff, and it's due to guys who were you know reliving their childhood through these TV shows and movies. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, I I enjoyed it. What, what I saw and and I got a lot of kicks out of it, but I think some of the funniest or some of the moments that made me go, Oh, were like spotting like, Oh, that one kid has universal monsters, you know, models up on the shelf or, uh, you know, Marshall at one point was putting together a model kit of like an alien. I was like, Oh, that's kind of like an old school. Mm -hmm. That's like a throwback, you know, like him making these little model kits. Um, so it's just kind of interesting that our generation, I, th- I feel like people now that have kind of taken over, the gauntlet's been passed a little bit, and now like mostly people our generation, maybe even a little bit younger now, are the ones that are getting to make movies and TV shows. And you think of something like Stranger Things, that's a nostalgia yeah. trip, but they literally set it in the 80s, and they literally make it like with references from the 80s and everything. Um, which I still love. I mean, I, I'm not yeah. trying to harp on that, but it's just kind of interesting that the boomers, when they did it, a lot of times they chose to do it like, you know, like we'll influence it with these ideas, but it'll still be set in the early 90s. Right. And, you know what I mean? Kind of. Yeah. So. It's kind of that way now with the superhero movies, because when we were kids, comic books were like super popular. Right. And uh, all those people that collected comic books back then have grown up and become adults. So now they're making movies and like they've got these superhero movies. And now sure. kids don't read comic books, but they're like watching these movies and That's now they're really point. into those characters. So it keep, kind of keeps getting passed down yeah. stuff we all liked as kids. Well, it's funny too, like not, not we're totally, I'm going to take us off, but uh, Ryan Coogler talking about like Black Panther. Mm-hmm. He talked about how he's a little bit younger than us. I think I, think I looked it up and he was like born in 84. Um, so just a few years. But he was talking about how like every kid raised in the 80s and 90s um, loves pop culture and how, how like, how much it influences them and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Kia mentioned to me, she's like, Oh, that's kind of like your, your garage. Like how you have all this stuff. It's like a shrine of yeah. pop culture that you love, you know, like how many people our age kind of do that stuff. And yeah, now it's kind of reflecting in our art and everything. It's not just, uh, it's, it's just kind of neat that like mainstream culture and pop culture is kind of like running with it. You yeah. know, it's not kind of the weird thing that it used to be, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's fun to go back and revisit Erie, Indiana, and and 
as an adult and you to you know as a kid i didn't it didn't register to me mm-hmm. like oh these guys are just putting stuff in here that they like as kids and now it's you can look back and i'm like oh okay i can see you know where this is coming from and and that's a good segue into the first episode yes. where uh even you know there's the ladies in this first episode they're all from the 60s and 50s and right you know, you know, it's, and it's, the title is Forever Wear, uh, W-A-R-E, and it's directed by Joe Dante, written by Jose Rivera and Carl Schreiber, Schaefer, and uh, the, the little line they give here is, Marshall's mother, Marilyn, hosts a neighborhood party for Forever Wear, Tupperware-style plastic containers that can keep anything fresh, and Marshall discovers that this extends... Anybody tries to trick is going to get <laughs> Yes. And for some reason, it's he thinks it's an awful thing and he has to stop it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess we should mention you know light light spoilers. I mean, these are only thirty minute or gosh, without commercials, these are just twenty minutes and change. Right. So I mean, we're we're gonna spoil these, but I mean, really, they're not that hard to jump in and watch. Yeah. You're not going to watch it and be like, oh, I wish I didn't know that was going right. to Like, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but if you if you want to go in totally spoiler-free, we're only going to talk about, uh, theoretically, the first five episodes right yeah. now. So you don't have to watch the entire run. You can just, you know, watch uh, five episodes and be up to speed with us Yeah. Uh, on Amazon Prime. But, okay. So, yeah... Um, yeah that know. is bizarre. Marshall is, like, very threatened by this idea <laughs> of this lady, this woman that lives in his neighborhood... He discovers is using like huge Tupperware containers basically to sleep in, like yeah. cryogenic freeze kind of every night right. she sleeps in Tupperware, and that extends her life mm-hmm. and it freezes her in 1964, I think is what they imply. Yeah, and she, and she still looks the same age. Right, and her two children are still her two twin boys are still Bert and Ernie. Grade. Yeah, Bert and Ernie, Bertram and Ernest. Yeah, and uh, they, <laughs> um, you know, they're they're kind of like. They asked for Marshall's help because they're like, we're in a living hell. We've been in seventh grade for 30 years. You don't know what it's like being in seventh grade for 30 years. It's a living hell. Yeah. But, um... Which uh, the investigation... <laughs> the investigation element here, okay? So, like, Marshall's mom, uh, you know, hosts this party for this Tupperware group. And there's little hints that it's off, right? Because all the ladies in this Tupperware group are frozen in the era... <laughs> That they chose to join because they are all using this Tupperware stuff to extend their lives. Of course, you've always got to make sure the lids are sealed tight. Otherwise, the aging process is accelerated. Oh, of course. <laughs> Otherwise, foreverware is guaranteed, when used as directed, to keep anything fresh forever. Yeah. So this is kind of funny. You hear all their backstories really quickly. And each one mentions a year that it happened or whatever, and all of them were in the garb of whatever year it was. So you notice some are in the 60s, some are in the 70s, you know. They didn't bother to go to the store and buy new clothes in the last, like, 30 plus years. (laughs) It completely (laughs) freezes you in the moment that you are. I have to wear the same clothes every day. No one will notice anything. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the two like the two twin boys. You go up to their room, and it's all stuff that like kids would have liked in 1964. So there's like, you know. Oh, we're jumping past something though. The the Bert or Ernie, one of them, hands Marshall a little little handwritten <laughs> oh, yeah. note. He's like he, he does it almost like you're passing drugs. Yeah, in, in, uh, shakes his hand. Yeah, in prison or something. Yeah. yeah, there's like a little you know pass. And Marshall's like what? And he unfoils this little piece of scrap paper, and it says yearbook 1964. Right. He's like what? Yearbook 1964. And of course, he and Simon look it up. The librarian thought I was weird checking out all those yearbooks. Better weird than dead. 
and Bert and Ernie are the exact same age in 1964 in their yearbook. Right. They had a little middle school yearbook. How they knew to look up a middle school yearbook, I guess, is kind of up in the air. Yeah, um, that's the thing I pointed out when we were watching. It was like, so he he wrote this note before <laughs> they showed up to the house. He he would have had time to like write a full letter to Mark, like, dear Marshall. My brother and I are uh, trapped in uh, Tupperware containers every night when we go to bed, making us uh, young forever. Uh, you can look us up in the 1964 yearbook if you go to the library. Like he could have like just spelled it all out, but instead he just wrote yearbook 1964. You figure it out. You know, he could have even. You know, obviously for television, it has to be vague and mysterious to give yeah. the characters something to research and the big reveal that they're in the yearbook and mm-hmm. they haven't aged in almost thirty years. Um, but but it does make it doesn't make any sense because like Bert could have at least written yearbook nineteen sixty four. Middle school, or like he could have written the school and just said, "Look it yeah. up," you know, Page something. Yeah, yeah, just something yeah. like that, just to give a little bit more meat. Where you're like, "Oh, okay." Um, I tell you what, I got a lot of. I'm a pretty lazy kid. I probably would have been like, "Huh?" Throwing trash. Sixty-four. This kid's weird. Yeah, he's got a weird kid. It would have been like three more scenes of the kids like, "Help us!" Like, you know, right. like I guess so. All right, These two kids are weird. Yeah. um... And also, we're picking this apart as as it's just for fun. Like, it's I'm, I'm not sitting here. Like, oh yeah. Obviously, they're doing it to make it more mysterious and to like further the, the story along. And it's a silly show anyway. And it's like, a show designed for twelve year olds, maybe yeah. younger. So, but uh, it it is fun to kind of joke jokingly kind of pick it apart. <laughs> I think that's part of the fun too, though. Right. I mean, I think it's deliberately done. Sometimes it's uh-huh. kind of like tongue in cheek humor a little yeah. bit. So, yeah, and uh, of course the. Marshall and uh, uh, Simon. Simon. I always forget his name. Uh, they spy on the, the Tupperware lady's house and realize, oh, she's trapping her two kids in these Tupperware containers at night. This must be stopped. Uh, we have to. <laughs> no one should be able to be young and youthful forever. <laughs> I this, mean, she should be an old lady by now. And yeah, it, I mean, yeah. Simon says a few times, it's just not natural, or it's, it ain't natural, or whatever. <laughs> Which I mean, again, I think it's kind of tongue in cheek humor because. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason on earth why we wouldn't do this as a society. Oh, yeah. Like, it would would retard, like, all kinds of ailments and issues that we have. (laughs) I mean, to be youthful forever or at least frozen at the moment that you are when you start sleeping. And it's it's revealed that they only have to do it for eight hours a day. They literally can just sleep in it every night and they're good to go. Yeah. So... Why would he have a problem with this lady extending her <laughs> life forever? I understand that she's wrong because she. It's revealed that her her husband died, and she's worried that if her sons grow up, they'll leave her. Right. So she's keeping them in arrested development so that they'll stay with her forever. Yeah. Um. So that's obviously wrong. I'm not. You know. Yeah. But like. But you don't have to. Effectively kill her. Yeah, you don't have to like <laughs> stop the lady from doing it. You can, she can still be young. That's right. fine. Like. I mean, because she ages. Uh, you know, spoiler, uh, Simon and Marshall help these kids out. They they free Bert and Ernie at night because it's real. Which, they're, they're sealed in. They can't get out. There's yeah. no way for them to push their ways out yeah. of the, the chambers at night. Um, what were you going to say? And, and it also, like, all it takes is one night not sleeping in this stuff. Oh, to, and it totally to undoes everything. To, like, yeah, yeah. To however old you should be in that moment because... And it's also kind of it's kind of funny that Bert and Ernie like the next day they're outside like hammering this for yeah. sale sign in the yard 
and uh, they're both wearing matching clothes, like, for yeah. an adult. And uh, they just, I don't know if they, like, ran to the store really quick that morning when they woke up, like, hey, we're old, we're big, you know, let's go to the store <laughs> and buy matching clothes and yeah. change. Uh, which makes me wonder, like, what did they wear to the store? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so many... Well, so many questions. Maybe they they, were, they slowly aged overnight, and they went to like an overnight Walmart type place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Three in the morning, and they were like twenty ish at that. Maybe you they, know, barely fitting into their clothes. Maybe they like, found a few like robes that belonged to their dad, <laughs> and they just run into Walmart. There you go. Look, there's matching sweaters. Let's put them on. And also the the adult Bert and Ernie were the the twin like guys from Gremlins uh, uh, Two, the new batch. be genetic. We're not sure yet. Oh, no, we're not no. sure. No, no, no. Uh, watch this, Doctor. Well, I'm ready. I'm willing. And I'm able to... And uh, also they played, like, one of the cops in... Um... Terminator 2? Yeah, there were security guards at the asylum yeah. So Sarah Connor was. A couple more of uh, Joe Dante's usual yes. tests. I was very, it's always exciting to see the Joe Dante players kind of crop up. I think they're also in the Looney Tunes movie as well. I think uh, they have a little part in that too. It's funny because like, I didn't... For some reason I never noticed that Joe Dante's name was even in the credits when hmm. I watched this before. And um, I think... I knew that Joe Dante was in the was in the final episode. Mm-hmm. Spoilers, he's in the last episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, but I didn't realize that. I thought it was just like, hey, I'm putting an appearance on this show. I didn't right. realize that this was his show that he was putting on. Right, created consultant and directed several episodes. Yeah. so it kind of set the tone. Yeah, and I also it's so like watching it now, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I can see now. Like, you know, Dick Miller is in an episode, yeah. and like some of his usual cast of actors that. Pop back up and it, like I, it, it, it's very much a Joe Dante joint. <laughs> mm. Well, and he's also obviously very proud of it because he. That's I heard. I told you earlier off Mike. I heard about this being on Amazon Prime from him. He tweeted it out there. Oh. And he was like, "Hey, check out you know my series from the early '90s. You know on Amazon Prime <laughs> that whole thing." So and then you mentioned to me that you had been watching it again. Yeah. Um, so uh, one one quick thing too is that uh, the Tupperware that they're using to like preserve themselves, they really do use it for normal food items too yeah. for some reason. And one of the uh, selling devices uh, that this lady uses um, for uh, Marshall's mother is a, a bologna sandwich that's been sealed since 1974. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know everyone's kind of skeptical as as to whether it's really from 1974. And the kids do an experiment about halfway through the episode where they, they kind of unseal it. And, again, it instantly becomes mush. It becomes, yeah. like, this disgusting paste, you know, because it, mm-hmm. it ages so quickly. Um, so there's little little moments like that. And someone boasts how they have uh, Brussels sprouts from, like, uh, when Jimmy Carter was <laughs> yeah. president. Yeah. And uh, this is already 1991, so it's been quite a while. And the Brussels sprouts are still... Nice and fresh. You're yeah. all very impressed. It's actually a pretty amazing product. Right. <laughs> it, would, it would totally change our society yeah. if we use it the right way. But instead, we murder... Yes, she ages overnight into an old elderly woman. She's apparently a recluse already because she's yeah, like... Yeah, she's already like senile. Like, yeah. who's out there? Where are my children? <laughs> it's like... Go back to bed, mother. She's like, like those are the two boys that killed me. <laughs> I was young eight hours ago. 
Like, you sons of bitches! Oh. And then she just falls over and dies. <laughs> yeah, and also that, that begs the question, like, I guess they're moving, right? They're going to move. They're selling the yeah. house, so I guess they're going to leave and go live somewhere else. And, yeah, what's the purpose behind that? Is it just to be like, people are going to start asking questions? Maybe. I don't know. So we got to get out of here. Maybe that's it. But uh, Also, I mean, just the fact that, like, they would live in the neighborhood after that would be kind of weird. Yeah. You know? But, Especially, yeah. <laughs> but they also live in Erie where, like, weird stuff happens. True. But, but True. also, that's the other thing I meant to bring up when we were talking about the premise of the show. Like, no one believes Marshall right, uh, right. and Simon that weird stuff happens. Like, everyone else just thinks, oh, this place is just norm- normal and boring. Right. But they're the only ones who notice, like, weird stuff happens. Well, in, in the, the opening uh, sequences, there's, like, a little kind of, like, teaser that opens every episode, pretty much, uh, that I've seen so far. Where it establishes that it is kind of like a white picket fence suburbia where, you know, everyone's mowing their lawn and everyone kind of is the same, you know, yeah. ticky-tacky houses and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like the surface, if you're not paying attention, it seems like very mundane and boring. But, yeah, you're right. Why no one else notices all the shenanigans, I'm not <laughs> really sure. Um, yeah. It's kind of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Sunnydale. It's on Hellmouth mm-hmm. and... All these demons and monsters are around, but pretty much everyone ignores it yeah. or doesn't really. You know what I mean? It's only the main characters that really do anything. So, yeah. Um, so you want to so give one thing I hate about Sunnydale: all these damn vampires. There you go. That was a little mix of Lost Boys mashup yeah. in the house. <laughs> um, so you want to give a, a little rating for each one? Let's do Foreverware. Uh, what do you give it? I don't know. As a pilot episode, kicking off the series. Let's just, I'll just say thumbs up. I don't know. I, I'm going to say thumbs up on all of them. I don't really, it's not my favorite episode, but it's all right. It's a fun, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's got a lot of funny stuff in it. It's, yeah. you know. I, I think it's pretty incredible how much it establishes about this little universe so mm-hmm. quickly and all the characters, you know. Uh, it does a lot of work for a pilot, a 20-minute episode setting yeah. up an entire premise. I mean, they, they do a really good job. Yeah. You know what to do if I don't come back. Straight to the president. And if I can't get through to him, I tell your mom and dad. So the next one is the retainer. Our offer is eighty-four thousand dollars a year. Retainer. Marshall's friend Steve dreads visiting the Erie, Indiana orthodontist, and is fitted for a retainer that gives him the power to read dogs' minds. Mm. Of course. Of course. <laughs> you know, like retainers do. By the way, when when you mention the episode name, you should drop in the Goodwill Hunting like retainer, retainer, retainer. <laughs> I guess I'll have to look that up because I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> pretty. Uh, I think of the episodes we watched. It's probably my least favorite. I, you know, my uh, my little phobia of watching people eat yeah. <laughs> on on screen and like the sounds people make and the you know that, that all that mm-hmm. stuff. I had little moments of that where you know we're like looking at this kid's gross mouth, like there, there's like a lettuce and stuff hanging off. Yeah, of his well, head even head. in the opening sequence, like the or, at the orthodontist, they had this kid's mouth cranked open as wide as possible, and he's got these gross kid teeth inside yeah. that are kind of like buck tooth and strange looking. Yeah, and yeah, and then and then eventually he has this ridiculous rig of a retainer around his head and just yeah. you know antennas all around him and a lot of metal, and they make a joke out of how. 
when he eats, uh, he gets things kind of tangled up inside the retainer on the outside and inside. So there's this, yeah, lettuce hanging off, and there's like a whole gross scene where he's just eating a big hoagie. I mean, it's like this huge, you know, sub. No way, Charmin. Get your own hoagie. I don't want any of your dumb hoagie. He's a fat kid, so of course he's going to eat. Oh right, right. Because that's such a like that's such an eighties, early nineties like trope of like. (laughs) There's always a chubby kid, and they always point out that he's fat. What's funny now too is, I mean, you know, a little bit of time passes. And that Steve, poor Steve, is pretty much the norm now. I'm yeah, not like sure I'm that he would really, like, he's really not that fat. No, he wouldn't really be considered fat anymore now. But in the early '90s, he was still, you know, he didn't make the cut. Um, should point out real quick: this one was also directed by Joe Dante and written by Jose Rivera and Carl Schaefer. Yeah, and, and there's a, a French poodle who has a French accent. Yes, <laughs> yes. So the poor, poor Steve can read uh, all the dogs' minds. Um, I get. I didn't catch why this, this, these things crossed over. Why did the orthodontist rig him up with a transistor radio that could read dogs' minds? Did we miss that part? Because I, I don't remember know. it. I don't either. I, did, I don't know if he did it on purpose or if it was just like a weird thing that happened. Because they also established that like the Bermuda Triangle is the same dimensions as Erie, Indiana. Yeah. So it's like, it's got the same mystical, weird powers so, or whatever. So, so in other words, it was just a big enough of a rig of this crazy shit that he put on this kid to, re, you know, fix his teeth. Yeah, that it would like tune into, tuned into... Tuned into the dogs. Yeah, and they can hear everything the dogs are thinking and the dogs are like, we're gonna eat everyone in Erie and take over the world. Yes, yes. Lucky for, you know, Steve and Marshall and Simon, they... They are just on the cusp of uh, a dog uprising for some reason. <laughs> they just happen to intermingle these two, you know. For some uh, reason, they have a lust for human flesh. Yes, all the dogs in the neighborhood. So do I. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, well, well. well. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, a pretty straightforward episode. The, the kids are skeptical. They discover that that's really what's happening, and they rig it up where. Uh, not just uh, Steve hears it, but Marshall does. Uh, they yeah. ignore Simon. Poor Simon can never yeah. hear any of this. It's like, can I hear? No, get away from us, Simon. <laughs> Do you realize we made contact with the animal kingdom? This is going to make us rich and famous. We could get the Nobel Peace Prize. We could end up on unsolved mysteries. Trust us, the dogs are talking. Okay. But you have two earbuds. I can have one, right? No! Shut your face. You're just a kid. Shut up, dummy. <laughs> Yeah, the whole time they, like these dogs are talking, and Simon's just like, "What are they saying?" <laughs> like, Sh- shut up. <laughs> and yeah, we we as the audience can hear the dogs, what they're yeah. thinking, what they're saying, and they always have weird accents depending on the breed. Uh, like Jeff said, one's a French poodle. She's the leader of the rebellion, and she has a French accent for some reason. Yeah, um, that's the weird thing. I'm like, is how does this dog know what a French person's accent sounds like? Unless she's from France. But it's just a play on the whole joke of like, oh, it's a French poodle. Well, right, right. sound French. Uh, but uh, eventually they're led to the pound. We gotta get to the pound and get this on tape. All right! Night patrol. And uh, the dogs threaten... I, for some reason the dogs are like, hey, you better let us out of these cages or we'll eat you. Yeah. And for some reason they do it. The, the kids let yeah. them out. And they just escape, right? I mean, there's not much else to it, right? Yeah, nothing really happens. They just let the dogs out, and uh, which is the answer to the age-old question of who let the dogs out. Exactly. The Baja men were, were very... <laughs> they were wondering who, who did this to them. 
And it was Marshall Teller and Simon Simonson. And poor Steve. Um, Yeah. And Steve got eaten. Did he? Yes, Steve. Oh, yeah. Steve was killed in this rebellion. Uh, Sacrifices have to be made. That's, there's like a reoccurring thing on this show, which you'll find out later, that there's like endings where you're kind of like, well, what about that guy? Or like, yeah. what happened there? You know, like, <laughs> um, uh, that's another weird thing about this show is like, there are like deaths happen in this show and it's inconsequential. Like, there's no sort of like, oh my God, that guy died. Or like, <laughs> that kid just got eaten by yeah. dogs. Like, I'm it's, pretty sure <laughs> if a 12 year old was eaten by dogs, it would be a pretty big story. Oh, I mean, uh, all over the news, Doug yeah. Llewellyn would just be like, and today in Erie News, the fat kid was eaten by dogs. <laughs> the fat kid. Everyone knows. Yeah. Steve? Oh yeah. my god, Steve the fat kid was eaten by a dog? Yeah. Don't you think we should call the police or something? Tell them what? You've been talking to dogs all day? We're on our own. It's up to us to find out what's going on. So yeah, I mean, we end with Marshall. He's doing a paper route, and he realizes he's going to have to deal with dogs and there's a dog giving him eyes, and Marshall walks over to him. He's like, listen, I don't understand you anymore. I don't have the retainer anymore. But I just want you to know I'm not telling anyone, and I'm not out to get you, and I can't hear you guys anymore. So you can think whatever you want. Yeah. And then he goes about his day, and that's the end, basically. And they could still be planning to take over and eat everyone. Sure. But he's I, I'm like, not, hey, look, I can't hear anymore, so hey. Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to eat people on the side, just go for it. You know, yeah, that's well, None of my business. It's yeah. all you guys. Huh? So that's that episode. That's really all I have to say about that one. The Retainer. You guys, this is really lame. It's so lame that there's not even a lame word for it. It's beyond lame. The next one was The ATM with the Heart of Gold. Ah, this yes. is the first one not written by Jose Rivera and Carl Schaefer or directed by Joe Dante. This is uh, Guns for Hire. Do this one. Yeah. Simon, feeling left out with no friends but Marshall, comes across an ATM that gives him money to be more popular which also causes Erie, Indiana to sink into financial depression. Also setting up that people in Erie are stupid because yes. Yes. everyone is like poor and destitute by the end of this episode because the ATM keeps giving Marsh or keeps giving Simon all this money. Yeah. And Simon is rolling around town in a uh, in a limousine. Right. <laughs> like buying right. everybody everything. He gets uh, new kicks. And they're like, yeah. where did all the money go? The only person in town who has money is this kid you know, <laughs> who hangs out by a uh, an ATM all night. Well, in, in the the little summary, totally glosses over the fact that um, it's Marshall's dad that creates AI. He creates artificial yeah. intelligence. <laughs> it's like a Max Headroom type of uh, being. What's that? Looks like a cross generator. <laughs> This is Max Headroom. Max Headroom? Ah, cocologist. He sees us. Where there's a way, there's a cook. I like him. Join the club. You know, more people prefer the new taste of Coke over Pepsi. Let's take him home. Good idea. Oh, yeah. Pepsi drinkers, now's your chance. Become a cocologist. That's the way. Oh! That is at this ATM, and you can see there's like a television screen, basically, or video monitor, or whatever, yeah. and you can see like this head, like Max Headroom, is like, hello. I'm the ATM. Yeah. And well, it's, it's the same actor that plays Marshall's dad who plays the ATM <clears throat> head. The Max Headroom ATM. Yeah, and he's got a little bow tie and everything. Yeah. And, uh, and a little hand, a robotic hand that gives you money. It, you know, if you, if you make a withdrawal, it'll like, you know... Yeah, it's an actual out. like hand instead of being just like a normal <laughs> ATM where it just shoots the money out. Um, 
So yeah, and, and the town has a little, uh, I guess, a festival, or I don't know, like a little uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony for this. It's like a big deal. Yeah. Um, and literally like five people show up for it. <laughs> <laughs> but the dad is very excited. You know, he created this artificial intelligence that's going to help people, you know, uh, help the banking industry. And, um, and uh, yeah, Simon makes friends with it and finds out that it's very lonely. And Much like Simon. Yes. And uh, the artificial intelligence thinks that to make friends, he's got to basically give them money. So he is giving Simon, you know, hundreds of dollars every time they hang out. Yeah. He's like, go, go have fun, you know, and Simon does. He goes and buys new shoes. That's what he really wants is... Yeah, because everybody else has cool shoes, and he's got dumpy buddy shoes. The Sky Monster. Yeah, and like the advertisement says, boys, not just a tennis shoe. It's a way of life, dude. But now he's got cool shoes, so the cool older kids will think he's cool. And that's that's the whole, I guess, the... uh, the lesson. Yeah, the, the lesson of the show is like this ATM's like, I'll give you money to be my friend. And so Mark, and so Simon does the same thing. He's like, I'll give these teenage guys money to yeah. be my friend. And then they don't even know his name. Yeah. It's the old pound money bags. Yeah. Yeah. Marshall, Marshall challenges Simon. You know, Simon pulls up in a limousine and the whole, by the way, this Erie, Indiana goes into debt in like <laughs> the course of like two and a half days. Yeah. I mean, it becomes, it, it goes from like a normal suburb to just this destitute, there's like tumbleweeds <laughs> flying through and like people are stumbling around the streets. Like zombies with yeah. their hand out with like yeah. dirty clothes. Right. Like, I mean, everyone becomes hobos overnight and no one knows what to do, including all, you know, like the parents and, you know, characters you think are kind of in the know. Um, and uh, no one puts two and two together like, hey, we, uh, we just installed this ATM yesterday and now everyone's poor. I wonder yeah. if there could be a connection. So, <laughs> yeah, so where's the mayor for no reason? The bo- no, I thought, <laughs> is he the mayor or is he the guy that owns the bank? I think he's the mayor. Okay, so the mayor that at the beginning is, does the ribbon-cutting ceremony and, you know, unveils the new AI. And now I'd like to introduce you to the man who made this all possible. Inventor, sports enthusiast, <laughs> family man, Edgar Teller. Uh, yeah, he is... He is blamed when the, when the bank runs out of money. Yeah. the cops come to him and they're like, "Listen, we don't know what's going on here, but we got to arrest somebody. We have to arrest." I mean, they <laughs> literally do that. They're like, "We have to arrest someone for appearances," and the mayor's like, "I understand." And he goes in the cuts his hands out, like, "Go ahead and cut me." I understand. I mean, I'm in law enforcement too, in a way. You know, I, I'm on that level. Well, that, and that's one of those things where it seems like a big plot hole or this weirdness, but like. I think that's tongue-in-cheek humor. I mean, I think oh, they're yeah, deliberately totally. making something funny where it's yeah. like the mayor willingly is arrested for appearances. I don't know. It's, just, it's And then when they're like Marshall and Simon give all the money back. They put all the money back into the ATM. Yeah, they literally physically put all the money back into the ATM. And the ATM AI yeah. like kind of like regresses back into more of a normal robot right. or whatever. No mistake, Mr. Wilson. We're giving back all the money... I'm sorry. Wait, Simon, you can't do this to me. Simon! Simon! We're hurting his feelings. He doesn't have feelings. Oh, yes, I do. I I thought we were friends. You don't have to give me money to be your friend. Wait! Simon! Why are you... Hurting me like this. 
And so even after the machine gets all the money back and the town goes back to being normal, yeah. uh, for some reason the mayor still has to do like public service work. He still has to like <laughs> you like clean the town. He's like, hey, well, you know, you gotta pay your dues. It's just like, what? You didn't do anything. Yeah, like, I think he's even <laughs> now that I think about it, is he wearing a mayor's sash? Like like Quimby in The Simpsons? I feel <laughs> I like he was... Maybe, maybe not. No, maybe I'm adding that now that we're like already a couple of hours away from it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, also, another thing that uh, Marshall's dad invented was touchscreen technology. Oh, right. Which, as far as I remember, I don't remember in like early 90s that you could... There was a touchscreen thing other than on Star Trek, you know? Right. Uh, but, you know, they're... they're Marshall and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess it was Simon was the only one, but he was like... He would just touch the screen and it would be like... Yeah, make a withdrawal. You know, it's like oh, cool. So I mean, already three episodes in, we've had technology that could um, change the way that we age forever, <laughs> and we've had artificial intelligence that like feels and has human emotions, and inexplicably sings ninety nine bottles of beers beer on the wall. Oh yeah, to uh, Simon. That's like their song that they share yeah. together. I guess it's to illustrate how much time they spend together because they sing the whole yeah, damn song point. from ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Down to zero. Yeah. Man, that's gonna be boring as hell. Yeah. Like that that kid is just sitting there like after a while you'd think you'd be like, Alright, let's do something else. Uh, <laughs> you know any stories? But that's you know? how lonely both of them are. <laughs> exactly. Simon yeah, he 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 really needs a friend his age apparently, and yeah. the AI is upset that all it does is give people money. So yeah. Yeah. this is also the first appearance of the world of stuff, which is hmm. uh a, it's pretty much in every episode after that. I mm. think there's maybe like a couple where it's not, but uh, it's it's sort of it's where like Marshall and Simon hang out regularly. It's at the Worldo stuff, and uh, that's where they they buy the the sneakers, and where they're hanging out with the the guy from Full House and uh, <laughs> all those those girls in tight dresses want to like hang out with a nine year old boy yeah. because he gives them money. Marshall, my parents went to the Congo for a couple of months and left my brother Ace in charge. <laughs> you gotta come over. Plus, you guys should see Ace's new girlfriend. No, she's not a girl. She's a woman. The guy from Full House, you know, the cool older guys that hang out with Simon, there's two of them. And one is from Full House, and the other one you discovered is the young kid from RoboCop 2. Right. Anyone that's ever seen RoboCop 2, especially if you're in the, your 30s and you saw it as a younger person, um, like, there's this weird, creepy kid that wears, like, a business suit, and he's, like, the criminal mastermind <laughs> of New Detroit. And uh, he he's in this episode. He's He's one of the... The totally tubular kids that enjoy his money bags. So, yeah, and he um, also found out he's the voice of Littlefoot in the Land Before Time, Aww. in the original Land Before Time. Um, and he turned out to be a gangster. Ugh. What? <sighs> Thanks a lot, Obama. <laughs> Sounds like your mom and dad are having a party. My mom's not home. Oh. Next episode, the losers. Joe Dante returns. Even losers get lucky sometimes. Marshall and Simon investigate a string of disappearances when Marshall's dad loses his briefcase. This is a fun one because we have some uh, Joe Dante players in major parts. They're not just cameos. Uh, Dick Miller and Henry Gibson. Yeah, Dick Miller, one of my favorites. Dick Miller kind of goes without an introduction. I mean, he's been in like... So many different movies. Oh, yeah. in, in Gremlins, you uh, know, he was... Uh, every Joe Dante movie, essentially. Yeah. yeah. 
But he was Mr. Futterman in Gremlins. I think yeah. that's probably the thing I know him best from. That and the uh, Explorers. I don't know if oh, yeah. He's yeah. like, I swallowed my gum. <laughs> uh, and then he's got a pretty iconic scene in The Terminator where he sells right, yeah. uh, The Terminator. You know, he's a gun shop owner. And he's like, hey, you can't do that in here. And he yeah. gets shot. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's been, been around and he, he gets to play a really cool part. And then uh, Henry Gibson, who is one of the heavies in uh, The Burbs. Um, Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, Mr. Klopek yeah. in uh, in the Burbs. The you know the guy who owns the house. He's like, you saw my skulls, didn't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Mr. Klopek, I'm sorry, I blew up your house. <laughs> so the, the Henry Gibson and Dick Miller they run kind of this organization that uh, that gathers all these items that we think we're losing. This, you know, yeah. Socks in the dryer, uh, you know the the caps on pins. Yeah, uh, you know this this pieces little pieces from puzzles. Right. Oh yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. Pieces from puzzles. Just all the little knickknacks that you've ever you know. Hey, what happened? What happened to my loose change? What happened to this? Yeah. This organization. Uh, Dick Miller's on the surface stealing things. Henry Gibson is down below cataloging. Cataloging. All yeah, he catalogs it, and he also figures out. Hey, we need more of these. Yeah. We definitely need more uh, socks. Yeah. Left left socks. We need uh, uh, more uh, contact lenses. We yeah. need some some of those, you know. Um, and Dick Miller is the haggard, you know, guy on the street that has to actually collect these things. Yeah, he's so. like the blue collar worker who's just like, yeah. all right, I guess I got to go out here. He like makes a list of all the things he needs to steal yeah. and uh, take to the lost place. Contact lenses, boat anchors, horseshoes, World Series tickets, ballpoint pen caps. Seems like we never get enough of those, huh? Uh, pacemaker batteries. Pacemaker batteries? There's no room for pity in this business. Over and out. Which I I just thought that that was a really brilliant concept, just in general. Just the idea of, like, an explanation to all the things you've ever lost. You know, like, where where does it go? There's there's no real... Like, you you never really understand what the hell happened to that stuff sometimes, you know? It's a really fun concept. Like, the the episode opens where uh, Marshall's dad takes his briefcase, he puts it in the refrigerator, because he's, like, thinking about work and kind of worried about it, and Marshall pulls it out of the refrigerator, puts it on the counter, and later his dad's like, hey, where's my briefcase? And Marshall's Mm -hmm. like, it's on the counter, and it's gone. Yeah, so now dad's all freaked out that he's got this old people's disease that makes him lose stuff. He's pushing 35, you know. Scary. (laughs) <laughs> and how did Dick Miller get in their house without them knowing? I don't know. But uh, Dick Miller is very a very stealthy sixty year old man, just is. you know, sneaking in. Another another great technology that uh, that they had in Erie that most people didn't have in the early nineties was a portable uh, camera where you could talk to people live. <laughs> Dick Miller is talking in a phone booth with this camera to uh, what's his name Henry Gibson. Henry Gibson yeah. and. Uh, He's like, all right, what else do I need? You get some pen caps? All right, I got that. And he's just, <laughs> they definitely had some advanced technology without a doubt. Oh, yeah. And um, then um, Marshall and uh, Simon come up with a plan to, like, we're going to lose, we're going to infiltrate this, we're going to lose ourselves. So, like, Marshall gets inside of a trunk and he's talking on a walkie talkie to Simon. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, Dick Miller comes along with a forklift. Or not a forklift, what's a, a dolly? Mm-hmm. Grabs this uh, case and. Puts it in this like hidden chute that takes it to the uh, the hidden world or wherever yeah, it is the, they work. The loser world, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and also like uh, 
there's a there's a higher up there that we don't see that they're why well, we got to call a main office because well you oh, know yeah like yeah. who are the other people that yeah, are that's a nice question this yeah. underground like lost stuff so <laughs> they could they could have expanded on this whole episode in later seasons had there been later seasons that's a good point that you know you don't know I mean maybe they were gonna set up like a little reoccurring yeah, yeah they could have. Dick Miller could have come back as a reoccurring character because that, you know, spoiler again. By the end, he he flips roles yeah. with the other guy, and they Dick Miller's in charge, and he's the one, you know, calling shots and telling the other guy like, "Hey, we need some lug nuts." You yeah. Know? Um, but uh, Marshall kind of goes down to the loser world and discovers this big conspiracy. You know, where, where all the, to include there was a model kit that he was putting together. It was missing its left arm. And uh, he discovers that uh, sometimes the losers are literally taking parts out of uh, <laughs> toys before they even ship them out to the to, yeah. to the masses or whatever. So sometimes when you buy a toy or a puzzle, it'll already be missing stuff because right. of the losers. They're the ones that are already taking that shit from you. Yep. How come you guys are going around stealing all this junk? You're not even selling it. You're just stacking it. Stealing why not start this job? They told me not to expect any gratitude. Well, what do you call it then? What do I call it? I call it helping the economy is what I call it. I'm a certified misappropriation engineer. How do you figure you're helping the economy? Imagine what would happen if people never lost anything. Well, they'd, they'd hang on to their old belongings until they wore out. And they'd go and probably do something silly like have them fixed. But yeah, like Marshall just basically begs to uh, get that briefcase back. Because yeah. he's worried. Apparently, his parents are going to divorce if the briefcase <laughs> yeah. doesn't come back. It's a very strange. I was like, man, this, this marriage is very fragile. Like, yeah. if uh, you don't get that briefcase back, our marriage is over. Yeah, yeah. It's, the stakes are high for poor Marshall. I mean, yeah. they got they got to really get it to him, I guess, to make him you know go to such lengths to get this back. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of forgotten actually how how does he get the briefcase back? How does he convince well, uh, Simon? Uh, Stakes out the laundromat and notices Dick Miller coming out of one of the dryers. Right, right. And so he goes in through the dryer to this uh, lost world, uh, and he and Marshall grab the what was it? They they, they took something. That, oh, he took the the rubber stamp, and they escaped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he's like, "I'll give you your rubber stamp back if you give me my dad's briefcase." Yeah. And uh, by this point. I can never remember his name. What's his name again? Henry Gibson. Henry Gibson. By this point, Henry Gibson has already been demoted, and he's he's now the guy. He's got the the finder job on the surface, uh, and he's like, you know, he trades uh, Marshall the rubber stamp, um, but he doesn't get the briefcase back, right? Because his mom uh, realizes that it's stupid to get. So upset over a briefcase, it just gives him another briefcase. There you go. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. Moral of the story is don't get divorced over a briefcase. Back in Jersey, Halloween was my favorite holiday. When else can a non-adult wear a disguise and roam around after dark, forcing people to give you candy for no good reason and then trash the house if they don't? The final one for today is America's Scariest Home Video. Yeah. And, uh... Which, yes. side note, this was the very first episode I ever saw as a kid. Uh, so I think this is like the Halloween episode that came on whatever the Sunday was before Halloween. This is October 20th, 1991. Okay, so maybe a couple of Sundays. 
you know, Sunday night. Maybe, right. Maybe there was football on or something. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I do remember watching that one as a kid and being like, I love this show. So yeah, the premise of this one is uh, Marshall and Simon have to babysit Simon's little brother. Okay, here's the plan. Fake Harley here doing a little baby slapstick. You know, something stupid or weird. Get it on video, enter it on that home video show, and voila! We're on prime time. Stuff in our pockets full of 10,000 simoleons. I like it. And Simon's little brother bites into the remote control of the TV and gets zapped into a mummy movie, and the mummy gets zapped into reality, and uh, they have to figure out a way to get the mummy from reality back into the TV and make them switch back. Right. And this is all on Halloween night, obviously. Yes. In, in, the, in the episode itself, it takes place on Halloween night. Yeah. Um, and Marshall's parents are out doing their own thing. <laughs> Trick or treat. Sorry, I'm out of candy. Bow wow. <laughs> Uh, Marshall's sister is upstairs studying, yeah. so it's totally up to Simon and Marshall to figure out how the hell to get the money back into the television right. and Simon's little brother back into their reality. Um, and I, th- I thought this one was really good because uh, it has some really great twists, I think. Yeah. Like, the premise is very original, but the ori- I thought something that was super original is the idea that Harley, the little, the little brother... Um, can actually affect the movie that he's in. Yeah. Like, he's not just in a fictional movie where he's like, oh, no, I'm running, and, you know, yeah. he is, like, messing with the set. Like, yeah, he like pushes the, the wall over. Yeah, like, he, like, <laughs> like, you can tell he's fucking up the set, and uh, the actress that's with him is kind of like, what is this kid doing? Like, like it's like breaking the fourth wall almost, you know? Yeah, and he's, like, he's supposed to, for some reason, like, the, the lady's still acting scared of him, even though he's, right. like, a little boy, because I guess, it's like, she sees him as the mummy or whatever, right. and he's, like, is stepping on her dress, or her dress comes off, and he's, like, a weird, <laughs> like, perverted kid. Yeah. Harley Schwarzenegger Holmes, you leave that poor lady alone right now, or I'm gonna come in there and blister your butt. Do you hear me? <laughs> oh, he's really scared now. Yeah, and he's just, he's just a total terror. Like, he's even, like, scarier than the mummy, I guess. Yeah, and, and Simon kind of implies earlier in the episode that, you know, his little brother gives him a hard time, and, you know, yeah. he's, he's a pain in the ass. So, um, and there's a lot of great bits of, you know, Marshall and Simon are very scared of this mummy running around the house, and they have, like, some fun scares with it. But the big twist... Obviously, they capture the mummy. They bonk the mummy over the head, yeah. and it gets knocked out, which is already kind of weird. And then they they tie it up to a chair, uh-huh. and Marshall just cannot help himself. He has to like see what it looks like underneath the wraps. Yeah. Wait. What? What if there's some kind of curse for unwrapping a mummy? I just want to peek. Besides, if there is a curse, it can't be worse than what our parents are going to do to us when they find out we traded Harley for King Tut Breath here. And it's this very scary, you know, moment. You think, oh, it's going to be disfigured and fucked up looking. And the reveal. The reveal is it's Boris von Orloff, which is <laughs> obviously a takeoff of Boris Karloff. And uh, he's it's just the actor who played the mummy in this yeah. movie. And uh, He's like this foppy British guy. Yeah. Right? yeah. He's like, I've been dead for 50 years. <laughs> no, I thought I remember dying. Had some bad shellfish one night. Next morning, I was reincarnated in one of my most memorable roles. A bloody revenge, the mummy's curse. Classic, yes, classic. Been stuck in that role ever since. Of course, I always knew my memory would live on in my films, but this is ridiculous. Of course. He's not a real mummy. 
He's an actor. I've been kidnapped by geniuses. Sorry about your head. Wow. Never thought I'd see a mummy, a dead person, and a movie star all in one day. All in one guy. <laughs> Where am I anyway? A little town called Erie, Indiana. Better known as Weirdness Central. Quint. Now tell me, how did I come to be in this dreary little corner of the universe? And what's more important, how do I get out of here? Without, you know, without much convincing, like, they convinced him to go back into the movie. Like, it didn't yeah. really take much. I would have been like, eh, look, guys, uh, I'm going to, like, I guess if the episode could have been longer, he could right. have, like, run away. And they would have had to, like, track him down before the movie ends. Yeah, I, I think that if it had been an hour-long episode, there would have been a fun moment where he was like, why am I acting like a mummy? Screw you guys. And he leaves to right. live it up for a while. Like, he's having yeah. fun as just a he's person. Like, What's it know? like in the 1990s? Right, right. Yeah. It's like a Back to the Future type of thing almost yeah. where he would have fun and learn about new technology and maybe try to, you know, go to a bar and pick up some a lady friend yeah. or, you know, just or enjoy like, life a little bit. Or like a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure where they're all at the mall and they, like, yeah. you know, go to the water park and all this <laughs> stuff. And they're like, you got to get back to the TV. <laughs> Like that would have been that would have been a fun segment, but right. because of the time constraints, I mean, they, 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 they got to make. That's another thing about the show; it's compact. I mean, it's oh, twenty yeah. minutes every episode, so mm-hmm. they got to solve these things, establish what the hell's going on, you know, the conflict, and then resolution. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it has to happen quick. Um, yeah, and there there really aren't two. There, like towards the end of the show, it's a little different, but like right in the, those first several episodes. Everything's self-contained in each episode. Like nothing like crosses over. Of, like remember in that other episode, we right, the money? Right, right. You know, like um, there's very little that, that carries on uh, yeah. until you get towards the end. There's like I'm not gonna almost oh, spoil it, but you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this one is is really fun. I, and another thing I liked about it is, of course, being a a weirdo who loves Halloween too much. I really like you know Halloween masks, and yeah. uh, this one. We had a whole mishap trying to rewind to look at the Halloween mask <laughs> when the kids come to ring the doorbell to trick or treat. Yeah, because there's several kids and they all have kind of fun, unique yeah. masks. There's two sets of trick or treaters. Yeah, and we wanted to see the mask on both sets. Yeah. And in the second set, there was an unusual uh, <laughs> costume of a kid in a Michael Myers mask and like a almost like an Ace Frehley style uh, kiss, kiss yeah. outfit. You know, like a spaceman outfit. <laughs> uh, so it was like you know, you know. Space Michael Myers. But, you know, that Michael Myers mask was originally a uh, Captain Kirk mask, so maybe it kind of works a little. It's like Captain Kirk in a space suit. And then, you know, another side note, Trick or Treat Studios, uh, Justin Mabry uh, duplicated that, like, re-sculpted that mask to look exactly like the really? original Captain Kirk mask, and they sell it on their website now. You can buy that Kirk mask. It, but it's a reproduction, but it looks spot on, like, right. exactly like the original. Nice. Um, one other thing I thought, I thought was kind of, it's very timely, and... Yeah, I mean, it's it's very of its time, I should say, but it still kind of reflects now with social media and people trying to do, you know, being YouTube famous or Twitter famous, Instagram famous, whatever. Uh, the kids in this, Marshall and Simon, are trying to make a video for America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, yeah. They're trying to make a wacky video on Halloween night to sell and win $10,000 on right. America's Funniest Home Videos. Um, and that's kind of what leads to some of the shenanigans is, you know, they're getting... Simon's little brother involved, and they're trying to make yeah. a wacky, you know, hijinks video with that, and that's kind of what plants the seed for some of the stuff that happens a little bit yeah. later with switching out into the television. Um, oh, but the big the the final twist, <laughs> the final twist, which I thought was pretty great, because uh, you think, oh wow, everything's been you know everything's solved. Uh, Boris, Boris, right? Uh, yeah, 
Boris von Orloff. Boris jumps back, and Simon's little brother comes back into the real world. The mummy is back into the television set. Mm -hmm. But there's a twist. <laughs> and now he's in, like, a beach blanket bingo type movie, like a 60s <laughs> surfer movie. And he's just with, like, two bikini babes on the beach at the end, like, giving a thumbs up. <laughs> and, uh... I mean, because the kids see him riding a surfboard. They see a mummy riding <laughs> yeah. a surfboard in this huge killer wave or whatever. And, yeah, it, it, it punches out on him hanging out with uh, yeah. two lovely young ladies. So he gets to kind of have his vacation. He, you know, he talks about how he's been stuck in a mummy movie yeah. for 50 years. And now he gets to uh, live it up yeah. a little bit. Look, I, I've been thinking, uh, maybe I was a bit harsh in, in judging your fine little metropolis. Uh, uh, maybe we should postpone this zapping thing you were talking about. I could use a little vacation. Being in that musty old mummy movie all those years, well, it can be a bit tedious, you know, all that foot shuffling and moaning and such. Not to mention the fact that I haven't had a chance to visit the little boy's room in 50 years. Now he gets to surf and sit, hang out in the sun. <laughs> Hanging with two beach babes. <laughs> so I just thought, you know, there's lots of stuff going on. This, to me, was my favorite one just because it had a lot of moving parts. Yeah. And, That's uh, my favorite one, too, so yeah. far. Of the, of the five that we watched, I think that was my favorite. So. I think my, my very favorite is gonna is coming up in the next block, yeah. I think. Because, uh, yeah. Which we've, we've discussed off the recording, but, you know, it stars Daniel Harris from the, the uh, Halloween franchise. Mm. Uh, but we'll go into that later once yes. we realize. Something to look forward to. Yeah. A teaser, if you will. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us for Half-Assed Horrorcast Nights. Remember, keep slamming that evil and keep busting. So little to watch. Shut up!